What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? What words? Teacher? Healer? Miracle worker? Son of man? Son of God? Jesus the Nazarene? What about refugee? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was a refugee? A refugee is someone who is forced because of persecution or famine or threats to their safety to leave the country in which they live, usually their home country, and flee to another place to find refuge. Under that definition, Jesus is most definitely experienced being a refugee. As a young child, he was forced to leave the country of his birth, Israel, to go with his father and his mother and move to a new land, Egypt, because there were people hunting for him to kill him. He's seeking asylum in Egypt with his mom and his dad. Jesus as a refugee is living for some period of time, we don't know how long, in a culture where he doesn't know the language, where his mom and dad do not have extended family, where there is no network of safety for them. And he experiences what it's like to live as a refugee. At Calvary Church, we've had the privilege, we have the privilege of having people here who are going through that very same experience, whether from Ukraine or Afghanistan or Syria or Eritrea, other nations that God has entrusted them to come here, Bangladesh, to be part of what we're doing at Calvary Church. And for those of you here who that may be your situation, I hope it's an encouragement for you to know that Jesus himself was a refugee that he knows something of what you're experiencing. I myself can't fully relate. What is it like to have your home country taken away from you? To be in a foreign land, to not know how you're going to work or where you're going to get transportation or how even to make it through the healthcare system or how to figure out how to feed your family, how to provide. It's an incredibly difficult and hard experience. I do hope that at Calvary Church we're able to offer at least a warm welcome, at least an expression of the fact that while not all of us here understand completely what you're going through, Jesus does. And he's asked us and allowed us the privilege of having the opportunity to express his love and empathy to you through us here. And it's a huge, enormous privilege so let me say thank you for being willing to trust us. Thank you for being willing to come here. <clears throat> and while we don't completely understand what it is that you're going through or have been through, I do want you to know that Jesus knows. He had that exact same experience and that he loves you and that he wants you to feel here in this place a warmth, a welcome, and an understanding that he sees you and he loves you. Now, having said that, 
There are others of us here who have never experienced what it's like to seek political asylum in another country or had to been forced to move from our homeland. But we can empathize in a much smaller way with what the world calls sort of being an internal, internally displaced person. What I mean by that is I in no way want to compare some of our experiences with the absolute difficult suffering of having to leave everything behind and flee to another country. That is a level that I don't really relate to. But having said that, many of us here have also can have some empathy for those who are doing that because we ourselves have felt displaced even in the country in which we live. Perhaps you've experienced that feeling of being displaced as a Christian in America. Maybe you feel that in a culture in which the government or the culture that is or the powers that be are less friendly and even sometimes antagonistic towards Christianity, you can feel that sort of feeling like, well, we've lost something here. That it's dangerous to be a Christian to some extent in this country. Maybe you're a non-Christian at a Maybe you're a Christian at a non-Christian school. Or maybe you're a spirit-filled Christian at a Christian school. And you feel that level of displacement, that you don't belong, that something is off. Maybe you've experienced that in being fired from or being laid off from a job. And the powers that be that once wanted you to be there no longer want you there anymore. And you can feel that sense of loss. That sense of, well, where am I supposed to work? How am I supposed to provide? How's this going to work itself out? Even those going through the journey of becoming older can feel a little like refugees in a culture that is obsessed with youth. And that as we lose memories or friends or abilities, we can feel like strangers living in a strange land. This morning, whether you are literally a refugee who's had to flee another country and come here, or you're living in some ways like an internally displaced person and have some empathy for living as a stranger in a strange land, whether in this country, in your school, at jobs, neighborhoods, family, whatever it may be, I believe that Jesus, the refugee, has some words of encouragement for us today. So let me invite you, if you're willing, to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. They look like this. And you just open it up to page 784. Page 784. You'll be in Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. This covenant that God is making with us. It's the Gospel of Matthew. It's written by a guy named Matthew who wants to tell us the story of Jesus. Page 784, Matthew chapter 2. We're very early on in the story of Jesus and very early on in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read us verses 13 to 23. And we want to hear the story of Jesus as a refugee. And hear words of encouragement to us today who may be experiencing literally that same thing or metaphorically experiencing some level of living as strangers in a strange land. Verse 13, 
It's right under the part that says the escape to Egypt. When they, those are the wise men or the magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is Jesus' father, Joseph, his adopted father. Get up, he said, take the child, Jesus, and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men or the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Jesus in this story is not a baby anymore. He's a small child. The Bible in Greek has a word for baby. It's the one used in Luke's gospel when talking about Jesus as a little baby that the shepherds come and visit. A different word is used here. Jesus is at least probably two years old, and we don't know how long he lives in Egypt, but it seems like it is a considerable amount of time. So as a toddler and a young child, Jesus is forced with his adoptive father and his mother Mary to leave the land that he knows, all of the family relationships, all of the extended family, the culture that he and his family are familiar with, and flee to Egypt because the powers that be are trying to kill him. That's why we say that Jesus is a refugee. He's living in another country, not of his own choosing, because his life is in danger in his homeland. And he lives there for some amount of time. In this passage, we then have three words of encouragement, both to those who might be living as actual refugees and to any of us who have any empathy for what it's like to feel like a stranger in a strange land, even here in America, in your school, in your company, wherever you might be. The three words of encouragement or things that God wants us to hear come from the way the passage is set up. It's set up with three subsections. I have a graphic sort of of it here. I know you can't read that. It's small text. You're not supposed to be able to read it. 
What you're supposed to be able to see is, is that from verses 13 to 15 is one subsection, which ends with a prophecy. That's the stuff that's in yellow, bold, block, block, whatever that is, yellow, yellowish stuff. A second section from 16 to verse 18, that also ends with a prophecy. And a third subsection from verses 19 to 23, that also ends with a prophecy. I'm hoping that as we see this visually, we come to understand that Matthew has set this up so that each of these three prophecies about Jesus are highlighted. What this does for us is say that these three prophecies about Jesus are not just speaking about Jesus, but are words from God through Jesus as encouragements to us. The first one that comes from that first subsection is God saying this to us today. You are my child. I will not abandon you. If you are feeling like a stranger in a strange land, God wants you to hear this morning, you are my child. I will not abandon you. The prophecy in that first subsection in verse 15 says, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now in the first instance, that prophecy is actually referring not to Jesus, but to Jacob and his children 1,400 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Now, I'm about to mention a person, Joseph. This gets a little confusing. We've got Joseph, who is a son of Jacob, 1,400 years before Jesus. And we've got Joseph, who is Jesus' adoptive father. We're talking about this Joseph back here. And what we're saying is, is when Jacob and his sons went to live in Egypt, God provided for them in Egypt. They, too, were refugees. Jacob and his children had to flee from Israel because of famine and went to live in Egypt. But while they were there, God took care of them. Jacob's son Joseph was given position of influence and power in the land of Egypt. God provided for the children of Israel by enabling them to be productive and fruitful and to grow and multiply even in difficult circumstances. God gave them godly midwives who refused to obey Pharaoh's orders to kill Israelite babies. And so God blessed them as they lived as refugees in Egypt. And God did not forget them in Egypt. He did not abandon them to this foreign power, but came and rescued them and brought them out of Egypt. That's why it says, out of Egypt I called my son. But it's not just a reference to Jacob and the children of Israel. It's also here a reference to Jesus. That Jesus with Joseph and Mary were forced to flee into that same country of Egypt. But while they were there, God did not abandon them. It's interesting for me to think that God found work for Joseph to do while he lived in Egypt. That God must have brought somebody along to help Mary figure out how to navigate the culture, how to provide food, how to cook, and, and help her family. She's got no relatives in Egypt. We don't think that they speak the language. 
that God brought somebody along to help Mary make it in that culture. And then I love this thought. And I didn't think I thought about it until I studied for this sermon this week. God must have brought playmates for Jesus in Egypt. He was a child just like you and I were children or our children. You need friends. That God did not abandon Jesus or Mary or Joseph in Egypt, but instead provided for them. And this is God's word of encouragement to us today. You are my child. Do not be afraid. I will not abandon you. If you feel like a stranger in a strange land, you are not a stranger to God. The second word of encouragement from God to us today comes out of this second section. And God wants you to hear this morning, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. One of the problems with being a refugee or feeling like a refugee is you can look at the difficult situation that you're in and think, is there anything I could have done that might have prevented this from happening? Is there any way that I could have, whether in uh, Syria or in Uzbekistan or in Honduras or in any of the countries I was before, is there anything I could have done to avoid what just happened, what forced me to leave? If you've been fired from your job or laid off, you might think to yourself, man, should I, I, maybe I could have worked harder or, or maybe I should have made myself more valuable to the company. If you're going through a difficult time at school, you might be thinking, well, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut about some of those things or maybe I shouldn't have gotten in those debates or arguments. It's very easy if you are feeling like a stranger in a strange land to wonder, maybe part of this is my fault. Maybe America is in the state that it's in because Christians, we didn't do a better job of representing Jesus and loving our neighbors. The prophecy that ends our second section, a voice is heard in Ramah, verse 18, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more, comes from an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, and it's in chapter 31. And in that prophecy, this verse comes in the context of God saying to Israel, you are suffering at the hands of foreign powers because of your sins. And you're going to continue to suffer because of your sins. This second section is especially about the wickedness and evil of Herod. He's killing baby boys. Now we've got to ask the question, well, who is Herod? Well, the Bible calls him the king of the Jews. But he's not Jewish. He's an Edomite. He's descended from Esau and not from Jacob. He most certainly is not a descendant of David. He has no rightful claim to the throne. Why is he considered the king of the Jews? Because Rome put him there. Why is Rome deciding who's going to be king of the Jews? Because of Jewish sin. Because of disobedience. 
Because they have disobeyed God, God has turned them over. Like he prophesied in Jeremiah, he has turned them over to foreign powers to decide what is going to be happening in the leadership in Israel. And as a result, that leadership is choosing evil to kill these babies. And so Jesus is forced to flee. But the really powerful thing about this quote in verse 18 is it's from Jeremiah 31. And that if you keep going in that passage, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with people. It's not going to be like the old covenant. The old covenant was you obey and you will be blessed disobey and you will be cursed. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new deal. Here's the deal. I will forgive you and remember your sins no more. That is the promise that God makes to a nation that was enmeshed in sin. And this is the good news that God wants you and I to hear this morning. If you're feeling like a stranger in a strange land, maybe none of it is your fault. Maybe some of it is your fault. It doesn't matter. What God wants you to hear is, if any of it is your fault, I forgive you and I will remember your sins no more. The third thing that God wants us to hear this morning is from the final subsection. And this is it. I will protect you in hostile environments and cause you to flourish and grow. I will protect you in hostile environments and cause you to flourish and grow. The last prophecy in the last section is in verse 23. It says about Jesus, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now there's actually no Old Testament prophecy that says Jesus will be from Nazareth. There is an Old Testament prophecy that says he'll be born in Bethlehem, but no Old Testament prophecy says he's gonna grow up his later years in Nazareth. What this is referring to is the fact that there is a Hebrew word, Netzer, from which we get the name Nazareth. The word Netzer means branch. And it's a reference to a prophecy in Isaiah 11.1. In that prophecy, God is speaking to the nation of Israel as they are fearing an invasion by the Assyrian army. And as this foreign power is bearing down on the nation of Israel, they are frightened that they are going to invade and decimate their society and take them in slavery or disperse them. And God says in the midst of this hostile foreign power, I've got a promise for you. He says, like a little tender shoot, like a little small branch comes up out of a dead tree trunk, so I am going to raise up a tender branch, a netzer, and that branch is going to be your rescue and your salvation. Now, it's amazing to me 
that you can go to the most hostile environments on this planet and you will still find plants and animals growing and thriving. In some of the hottest deserts, in some of the coldest places on earth, in some of the wettest, in some of the driest, in some of the harshest places, even through the cracks in the concrete, there are plants growing and flourishing and thriving. Even on a seemingly dead stump, you can find little branches of life growing. These are signs pointing to the fact that God is able in the harshest environments, in the most seemingly difficult and dead situations, to cause life to flourish and to grow. And the promise is, is that through Jesus, himself growing and flourishing, God will do that for us. It's interesting to me that in the Gospel of Luke, it says about Jesus and his growing up years that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He matured as a child. Reading this, I've realized some of that maturation and growth happened as a refugee, happened in Egypt. That Jesus didn't just survive, he thrived. That through the suffering and through the difficulty, that was part of what God used to mold him and shape him into the person who would be our Savior and Messiah. And this is God's word to us today. Even in hostile environments, even as strangers in strange lands, God wants to protect us and cause us to flourish and grow. Not just to survive, but to thrive. These are the words of encouragement that Jesus, the refugee, wants us to hear this morning. You are my child. I will not abandon you. I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. I will protect you in hostile environments and cause you to flourish and grow. This is what God wants to do for us. What does he expect from us in return? Just one thing from this passage. Look to him for guidance. It's great when you read this story. I hope you heard it. Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, doesn't do anything without God telling him what to do. God keeps appearing to Joseph in dreams and saying, go here, do this, do that. Joseph appears to have some sort of spiritual gift or ability to be able to hear from God in dreams. I don't have that ability. In all of my Christian life, I cannot think of a time in which I have meaningfully heard from God through a dream. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. God still speaks to people through dreams today. That's just not often the way he chooses to speak to me. But the point is not how Joseph heard from God. The point is that Joseph heard from God. There are different ways to hear from God in different times and in different seasons. But in this passage, we learn that Joseph is a man who is being led by God. In general, we don't know that much about Jesus' earthly father, but what we see here is super commendable. 
that Joseph, God tells him, move to Egypt. So he packs up and he moves to Egypt. It's interesting to me. I don't know that Joseph could know that Herod wants to kill Jesus, except God tells him. I'm not sure the wise men know that information. But God does. And so God says to Joseph, you can't stay here. You've got to go to another land. And Joseph, by faith, says, okay. And he leaves all his family, extended family behind. He takes his wife and his son Jesus and heads to Egypt. While he's there, we don't think they get much news of what's going on in Israel. And so how's Joseph supposed to know when it's safe to move back? How long is he supposed to know how long to stay there? God tells him. God appears to him in a dream and he says, not only is Herod dead, I think probably Joseph would have heard that news maybe, but he says all those who were in power with Herod have also died. It's safe to go back. This is why we think Jesus is not there just for a couple of weeks. We think he's there for some extended period of time. How's Joseph supposed to know when it's safe to go back? There's only one person that knows that, and it's God. And so God appears to him in a dream and says, go back. And so Joseph goes back, and he gets back, and he thinks, wait a second, maybe God's made a mistake, because he ends up back in Bethlehem, and Archelaus, who is Herod's son, is reigning in his place, and Joseph looks at Archelaus and thinks, well, that guy's almost as bad as his dad. What am I supposed to do? And the language in the passage changes slightly so that we think instead of God taking the initiative to tell Joseph, Joseph then takes the initiative to ask God, what do I do? And God again appears to him in a dream. And he says, don't live in Bethlehem, which is under Archelaus's rule. Go up to Nazareth, which is not actually under Archelaus's rule. It's under a different person's rule. And go and live there. And each step of the way, God is guiding Joseph, through this process. What does God want from us? If you're feeling like, if you're actually a refugee living in America, or if you're feeling like a stranger living in a strange land, what does God want from us? He's saying, let me lead you. Let me guide you. Jesus went through being a refugee so that he can shepherd us through the same kinds of things. So let me close then with this encouragement. God says to Joseph, first time, go to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. One of the hardest things about being a stranger in a strange land is the longing of our hearts to go home, to go back to a culture we're familiar to, to go back to family that we're connected to, to go back to a job that we know how to do, to be in a school where we feel welcomed and we feel loved, to live in a country that respects and honors those who are Christians. But the encouragement from God is, you are where you are because I put you there. Stay there. It's hard. It's hard to endure. We all want things to go back to the way they were. We all want things to feel comfortable, to feel safe. Nobody wants to be a stranger in a strange land. But God says, I have you where you are for a reason. And whether that literally means living here in America from another country, or if that means I have you in the state of unemployment, or in the school I put you in, 
or in the age I have you or the culture in this country in which we live. The encouragement from God is stay here. Stay where you are until I come get you. And this is the ultimate promise of God is that out of Egypt I called my son. God will not leave you and I as strangers in strange lands. That he promises us, you will yet see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God sees you where you are. He will not abandon you. He has forgiven you. He will protect you, but he will not leave you. He will come get you. And someday, Jesus says, I'm going to our real home to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come get you so that you can be truly at home with me. This is the message of Jesus, the refugee, to those of us today. Stay where you are until I come get you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for experiencing for us what you knew we were going to go through. It's easy for us to think, Jesus, that you had a super easy life and just a really bad last week. But Lord, from the very beginning, you were a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. That you know, Jesus, what it's like to be a refugee. God, I pray first and foremost for those who are experiencing that exact same situation in their own life. Who've come here from various countries around the world where they have lost everything. Their culture, their family, their way of life, their language, their jobs, their resources, their their savings, their respect, their honor, all of those things. Jesus, you know what they're going through. You've brought them here. Please, God, would you bring as many as possible to Calvary Church and would you let us be as generous and hospitable as we can be? Lord, would you help them to feel welcome here? Not just from us, but from you. May they know that perhaps they think they came because of persecution or famine or difficulty or war, but you brought them here to tell them that you love them, that you know what they're going through that you want to be their savior and their God. Lord, I also pray for those here who are feeling like strangers in a strange land right here in America, that we feel like we don't fit in, like we don't belong. Jesus, if the world hated you, they're certainly gonna hate us. And if you had to dwell in the midst of a strange land for our sake, let us be willing to dwell in a strange land for the sake of others. Be near to us. Help us to hear this morning words of encouragement from your mouth. Thank you for knowing what